Letter thirty five of Clarissa or the History of a Young Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gillam, Betty's Bledruce, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa Harlowe by Samuel Richardson. Letter thirty five. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire. I have found out by my watchful spy almost as many of my charmer's motions as those of the rest of her relations. It delights me to think how the rascal is caressed by the uncles and the nephew, and let into their secrets, yet it proceeds all the time by my line of direction. I have charged him, however, on forfeiture of his present weekly stipend and my future favour, to take care that neither my beloved nor any of the family suspect him. I have told him that he may indeed watch her egresses and regresses, but that only keep off other servants from her paths, yet not to be seen by her himself. The dear creature has tempted him, he told them, with a bribe, which he never offered, to convey a letter, which he never wrote, to Miss Howe he believes, with one enclosed, perhaps, to me. But he declined it, and he be begged they would take notice of it to her. This brought him a stingy shilling, great applause, and an injunction followed it to all the servants, for the strictest look out, lest she should contrive some way to send it. And, above an hour after, an order was given him to throw himself in her way, and expressing his concern for denying her request, to tender his service to her, and to bring them her letter, which it would be proper for him to report that she has refused to give him. Now, seest thou not how many good ends this contrivance answers? In the first place, the lady is secured by it, against her own knowledge, in the liberty allowed her of taking her private walks in the garden, for this attempt has confirmed them in their belief that now they have turned off her maid, she has no way to send a letter out of the house. If she had, she would not have run the risk of tempting a fellow who had not been in her secret, so that she can prosecute unsuspectedly her correspondence with me and Miss Howe. In the next place it will perhaps afford me an opportunity of a private interview with her, which I am meditating. Let her take it as she will. Having found out by my spy, who can keep off everybody else, that she goes every morning and evening to a wood-house remote from the dwelling-house, under pretence of visiting and feeding a set of bantam poultry, which were produced from a breed that was her grandfather's, and of which, for that reason, she is very fond, as also of some other curious fowls, brought from the same place. I have an account of all her motions here, and as she has owned to me in one of her letters that she corresponds privately with Miss Howe, I presume it is by this way. The interview I am meditating will produce her consent, I hope, to other favours of the like kind. For, should she not choose the place which I am expecting to see her, 
I can attend her anywhere in the rambling Dutch-taste garden, whenever she will permit me that honour. For my implement, High Joseph Lehman, has procured me the opportunity of getting two keys made to the garden door, one of which I have given him for reasons good, which door opens the haunted coppice, as tradition has made the servants think it, a man having been found hanging in it about twenty years ago, and Joseph, upon proper notice, will leave it unbolted. But I was obliged, previously, to give him my honour, that no mischief should happen to any of my adversaries from this liberty. For the fellow tells me that he loves all his masters, and only that he knows I am a man of honour, and that my alliance will do credit to the family, and after prejudices are overcome, every one will think so, or he would not for the world act the part he does. There never was a rogue who had not a salve to himself for being so. What a praise of honesty, that every man pretends to it, even at the instant that he knows he is pursuing the methods that will perhaps prove him a knave to the whole world, as well as to his own conscience. But what this stupid family can mean to make all this necessary I cannot imagine. My revenge and my love are uppermost by turns. If the latter succeed not, the gratifying of the former will be my only consolation, and by all that's good they shall feel it. Although for it I become an exile from my native country for ever, I will throw myself into my charmer's presence. I have twice already attempted it in vain. I shall see, then, what I may depend upon from her favour. If I thought I had no prospect of that, I should be tempted to carry her off. That would be a rape worthy of Jupiter. But all gentle shall be my movements, all respectful, even to reverence my addresses to her. Her hand shall be the only witness to the pressure of my lip, my trembling lip. I know it will tremble if I do not bid it tremble, as soft my sighs as the sighs of my gentle rosebud. By my humility will I invite her confidence. The loneliness of the place shall give me no advantage to dissipate her fears and to engage her reliance upon my honour for the future shall be my whole endeavour. But little will I complain of, not at all will I threaten those who are continually threatening me but yet with a view to act the part of Dryden's lion to secure my love, or to let loose my vengeance upon my hunters. What though his mighty soul his grief contains, he meditates revenge who least complains, and like a lion slumbering in his way, or sleep dissembling while he waits his prey, his fearless foes within his distance draws, constrains his roaring, and contracts his paws, till at the last his time for fury found, he shoots with sudden vengeance from the ground, the prostrate vulgar passes awe and spares, but with a lordly rage his hunter tears. End of letter 35